EFTM Tech Cars Lifestyle This is the EFTM Podcast with Trevor Long EFTM All right, let's get back to normality. EFTM Podcast, Trevor Long with you. Thank you for downloading. Thanks for your company. Lovely to be with you. And uh, lovely to be back taking your calls. If you've got a tech question, all you've got to do is go to the website, EFTM.com. Click on Ask Trev. Um, I will wade through the emails on a Tuesday morning and speak to those with whom I can contact, i.e. if you answer your phone, you'll be on the show. If you don't answer your phone, you won't be. Um, it's kind of how it works and it is very much based around my time, not yours. So, uh, sorry about that. But, um, a bunch of people we're going to try and get in touch with today. We're going to talk TVs, Wi-Fi, photos, Twitter, you name it. We've got a lot to get through. Plus I want to talk farming. You heard that right. Farming. So you didn't think you'd hear about that today, but, uh, one of the boys might've been jolly, uh, sent a, a, a TikTok around in our group and said, look at this. And it was a farmer named, uh, Jake Walkie, and he's got a farm uh, out in Albury, Albury Wodonga, uh, on the New South Wales side, Albury side, uh, in a little uh, suburb called Lavington, I think it is. And um, so he's got a farm outside of town, but then he's got a butcher's shop in town. And the story of that butcher's shop is awesome, mind-blowing, and it does involve technology. So that is why it's on this show, let alone the fact that I can do whatever I want. God love it. Um, so yeah, we're going to talk to Jake, um, top bloke, great young farmer, entrepreneur, um, and I would say in many ways environmentalist when you listen to the substance of what he's saying. So we'll cover that, um, plus your calls. If you've got a tech question, you know where to go. Just go to the website, eftm.com, click on Ask Trev, and I'll be there to help. This is the EFTM Podcast. EFTM. Great to be back. Great to have your calls. And uh, if you've got a tech question, go to the website, eftm.com. Just click on Ask Trev, which Greg did. G'day, Greg. How are you doing? Good, mate. What can I do for you, buddy? Uh, just uh, I've got a, a Sony A8G OLED television, which is, oh, that's an old telly now, I guess, 2019, only a few years old. It's only three years old, um, yeah, I know. You expect to get a bit more out of them. I actually done a bit of Googling with this issue just to see if I could find anything myself with the troubleshooting and whatnot. Yeah. Um, it's just developed this massive flicker, mate. Uh, it's flickering to the point of it's unwatchable. Really? Uh, While I'm you're watching TV? And any specific yeah. type of TV? Or is it only the built-in apps? What sort of things? No. I watch everything on it. I've got my Foxtel obviously plugged in on it. Yeah. Uh, DVDs I don't watch much anymore. I've got, um, uh, well, that's about all that's plugged into it, actually. I've got does a satellite it, does it happen instantly thing. or is it something that builds up as it's been no, on for a while? that's the other thing. That's the other thing. It started to just uh, it started to just do it after a couple of hours. It might come on. It just started to flick a little bit and it wasn't all that bad, but it still wasn't watchable. And then... Um, I went through the troubleshooting thing, cleaning the screen, doing that screen refresh and all that kind of stuff, all the general Sony uh, reboots and whatnot, and turn it off and hold the button in for 30 seconds, all that kind of reboot stuff. And it came good for a bit, even to the point I actually once um, I pulled the cord out. Because hmm. once you tuck the things away against the wall, I just kind of said, they don't move. Obviously, yeah. you know, they just sit there. And I thought maybe a bit of dust build up or something. So I pulled the cord out. And I cleaned the cord with, yep. with a rag, just yep. cleaned the dust off. So I was kind of stretched the cord a little bit. And this, this is just after it started flickering 
mm. at its worst. <laughs> Switch the corner, cleaned it, plugged it back in. I thought, I'll just boot it up. Turned it on, good as gold. Uh-huh. And I thought, oh, that's it. I've got it fixed. Mate, the next morning, turned it on straight off the bat. No 10 minutes, no one hour. Straight off the bat, gone. Flickering uh-huh. its head off. And that's an OLED too, isn't it? The A not A eight G. Yeah, that, that's why I was surprised about you know the OLEDs are, are pretty. Oh, I didn't think they were bulletproof. Nothing's bulletproof, but I thought I thought they were a bit of a better kind of a setup, and I definitely thought I'd get more than three years out of it. How much did you pay for it, bud? I got a deal through someone I know, the manager at JB, and I got it for like three and a half grand when it was what? actually four and a half grand television. Well, still three and a half thousand. What size is it? Sixty five. Yes, mate, yeah. Okay, yeah. Mate, so what does Sony say? You've obviously been in touch with them. Yeah, they, they like a lot of companies, sound very promising at the start. Oh, that's bad. That, you know, we really feel bad about that. It shouldn't have happened. Uh, and it was looking like I might get some kind of uh, something nice done, but mm. at the end it's turned out now where and actually I've got to contact them again because it's been more than two business working days that their repairer hasn't contacted me about. Uh, I said, well, can you let me know how much it's going to cost? Uh, mm. It's going to cost a 1000 bucks. I'm going to buy another television. Yeah. Um, so, and, right. and I won't be happy. I'll be and straight I'll up with you. I'm very aware that I'm not happy. <laughs> I'll be straight up with you. I would yeah. not cop that. Three years yeah. is on the yeah. absolute disgraceful low in terms of television life. Um, I'm mm. talking five plus is where TV should be at. And this is yeah. a three and a half to four and a half thousand dollar TV. So it's not a, see, often you hear people talk about warranties and Australian consumer law, which I bang on about a lot. And the price yeah. that you pay does matter. If you buy a, you know, $700 Aldi TV and in four years it's flickering, dude, move on. Life goes on. But yeah, if you buy absolutely. a $4,000 TV and in three years it's flickering, well, hang on a minute. So, mate, I would be back on the phone to Sony and say, I'm sorry, I've had a good think about this. I spent, I bought, no, what you say, don't say what you spent. I I bought a $4,500 television three years ago, and I expect that it will still work uh, as as it should. Uh, and, And you say these words, under Australian consumer law, you should too. And so what they'll say is, and they've said this to you, it's out of warranty. doesn't matter. Does not matter. You and yeah. everyone in Australia who buy any product sold in Australia is covered by Australian consumer law. And that law is not specific. It is broad. And it, it basically says that a product should um, still be working within a reasonable life expectancy. And yeah. three years is well within. There's no one listening to this show yeah. right now that would think that three years is a good life for an OLED TV. No. No, so, mate, absolutely. I'd be blowing up a treat. Now, they ain't going to fix yeah. it. I'll tell you this right now. They're not going to fix it. But what they should no. be doing is offering you a stunning discount on a new TV. Like yeah, on, they, the, on the, the later model. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. You know, they. Sh- I don't care yeah. if it's a 2022 model. I'm not holding out for 23, but they absolutely yeah. should be coming to the party, mate. And I, yeah. I don't, I don't really think anything less. What state are you in? I'm in Victoria, mate. So in, in Australia, uh, in, in Ballarat, so I'm out of town, kind of thing. In, so. in New South Wales, it's the Department of Fair Trading. Uh, you'd have to check what it is in Victoria, but essentially, yeah. you've got two things you need to do broadly in parallel. Uh, the first one is contact Sony and say, "I I am insisting that you fix this under Australian consumer law." 
because okay. for a four and a half thousand dollar TV after three years, it should still work or, or be fixed. Uh, basically, they they should fix it. Um, and yeah. at the same time, you should ring your uh, Department of Community Service, uh, not Community Service, Fair Trading, uh, Consumer Affairs, and say to them, what is what is my course of action to ensure that Sony give me the assistance I'm rightfully due under Australian consumer law. Just keep saying those three words. Australian yeah, consumer Australian. law. Yeah. It's all that matters, mate. Yeah. That is what covers you in this situation. If your TV was five and a half years old, I'd say to you, mate, it's a battle. I would still say give it yeah. a crack. I'd say call, oh, call Sony. I'd still say yeah. call Sony. I probably wouldn't call yeah. Consumer Affairs. But I call Sony yeah. and say I spent four grand. This thing should still work, and I'd give it a crack. See if they give yeah. you, you know, even a, just a discount on a new TV, let alone send a repair yeah. out. But at three years old, mate, fix the TV. That's, That's what I thought. To be honest, Trev, I thought I'm not going to have much hope because it's over its warranty over twelve months. Which, in all honesty, I think a lot of people would think too. In today's world, I know it's a bit of a throwaway society and whatnot, but I think a lot of people. Um, would think that yeah, three years is a very long, but they'd be probably balking at five or six years or whatnot. Mate, and I thought, well, once it's out of warranty, they're not going to want to know about it. But I was, I would have thought that Sony, with the brand that they are, would have stepped up and said, you know what, let's let's just look after this bloke. Yeah. High Sense, High Sense is offering High Sense is offering three years on all their TVs. LG is definitely offering three years, I think, on their premium TVs like yours, the OLEDs. Um, so yep. it's almost it's almost a manufacturer's expectation these days to get three years, and you should not need to pay for that. To be clear, that's not a, a yep. extended warranty or any of that rubbish. This is about what you are okay. due as yep. a right as a consumer in Australia. That's why the government has these protections. So, mate. But the problem is, and I say this often, you need to fight for it. It just doesn't come to you. Yep. There's no website that says yep. Sony A8G five years. There's no no such thing. So you need to fight for it. But you do need to scare them. You need to not be angry, but you need to sound like yeah. you're taking this to the next level with Sony and you need to yeah. say, I'm going yeah. to ask you to do this under Australian consumer law and if you refuse to, I will take this further with uh, the Consumer Affairs Department or whatever your yeah. relevant one is, okay? Yeah, yeah, that's true. They rely on people just to say, oh, well, I've done the best I can do. It's out of warranty. I've got no go, but yeah. Yeah, no, I understand exactly what you're saying. Exactly, just, mate. Uh, Fight for yourself, mate. Just, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. All right, buddy, I want to hear yeah. how it goes, all right? So let me know how you go. No worries, pal. Thanks for your help. Good on you, buddy. Anytime, anytime yeah. at all. Good on you, right. mate. Thank you. Um, you know, I, I do bang on about it a lot. It's not the first call we've had, is it? But honestly, folks, three years on a $4,000 TV, sure, he got a good deal. That's That's his luck. But it's a $4,000 TV. That thing should last five to seven years without hesitation. And if there's a known issue, then they shouldn't even be second-guessing it. They should be just walking out and fixing them. So good luck, Greg. Let's hope he gets some solution to that. Taking your calls, you've got a tech question, go to the website, eftm.com. G'day, Andrew. Go, Trevor. How are you? Real good, mate. What can I do for you? Mate, I'm, I, I'm, 
Uh, I've got the original Google Nest, uh, well, not Nest, the Google, the Google Wi-Fi. Yeah, originally, I'm it was having called Google something. Wi-Fi, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I'm having sort of, you know, a few dead spots around the house, a couple of devices struggling to connect to it and stuff like that. And I can see they've released the new, uh, I don't, what are they calling it, Nest Wi-Fi Pro or Pro, whatever it is. Big, but it's big not, tall thing, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but not available in Australia. And I cannot find any details about kind of release dates and everything like that. And I was sort of hoping you might have some inside words. Well, mate, let me tell you first up, uh, be careful not to buy it on Amazon because it's an international shipping and it's not, um, I guess, the Australian yeah. product, right? I find, find that staggering that it's still possible to do that. But anyway, moving on. Um, there's yep. a, I, I believe the reason is something to do with the, the Wi-Fi band they're using. So obviously, you know, the right. Wi-Fi uses a spectrum in the air and you have to use a licensed spectrum to be operating that way. And my understanding when it was launched, and I am digging into my memory here, was that in America it uses a different spectrum to hear and they haven't got the permission, yada, yada, yada. They've built a thing yeah. that, that essentially isn't compliant in Australia. Um, I actually haven't heard a single thing about them bringing it out here. I think because, man, it's a competitive market here. There's a lot of products yeah. already in the market. So... But my question to you would be, you know, that's a eight nine hundred dollar product at at a guess straight up. What's yeah. are you wedded to Google? Because there's plenty of other options. Is there a reason you want to keep sticking with Google there? To be honest, if it was just me who had to use it, I'd be fine going into other products. Yeah. But trying to keep my wife in one ecosystem is what I try to do because it simplifies things for her. So. You know, we've got all our smart devices and we run through that through Google Home. If I've then got a director to somewhere else to be able to manage the Wi-Fi, to be honest, it's just about making my life easier. When you say I, manage I, I the Wi-Fi, the products in the market. what sort of Wi-Fi, Sorry? What, what sort of management would you would you be doing on a, on a regular uh, basis just when the there's, Wi-Fi? Just when there's connection issues and stuff yeah. like that. You know, she I'm jumps into Google Home and, and does a bit of uh, troubleshooting, does she? She does. I've taught her to do some troubleshooting. Amazing, isn't it? My wife would fed him just unplug it and just go, <laughs> do your best, kids. Well, that, well that's IT 101, isn't it? Just unplug and reset. I would, the first I would argue I bet you that fixes most of it anyway. <laughs> yes, correct. The reason I say that is because a lot of people are, don't want to switch to anything because of having to reconnect everything. But my advice always is when you set up your new network, name it the same with the same password and everything just reconnects. It's bloody amazing. It works beautifully. Yeah. Um, so that yeah. part that part is easy. Um, I think your challenge is, mate, you're either going to continue to have these connection problems or mm-hmm. you, you could be waiting easily six months, easily yeah, six okay. months on that product. Yeah. Um, because yeah. you got to remember, Australia is this tiny little market. I'm not even sure it will come yeah. because maybe we're the only place in the world where they can't use that specific Wi-Fi frequency or band. Right. And yeah. it, may, it may never come here. Whereas, yeah. you know, you, you go on Netgear Orbi and boom, it's, you know, three pack out of the box is pretty much the same price, eight or nine hundred bucks. And I would argue the Orbi app is bloody sensational when it comes to controlling things. But I honestly... I can't ima- I can't remember the last time I went into the back end and did something to the Wi-Fi. So that's why yeah. I'm curious well, about hence the management why, stuff. Hence why I'm looking. Look, we're in a decent-sized house. It's about 50 squares all up. Mm. So uh, I do get some, you know, I've got some very random um, issues. Yeah, with yeah. Uh, like, you know, I've got a Google TV, a new Google TV gongle that sits about two and a half metres from one of the Wi-Fi points and I have connection issues. 
Um, what? Yeah, just I've got some really random issues uh, in my – and I looked at it and I thought, oh, maybe I should just upgrade to um, – because I'm on the original Google Wi-Fi, mm. maybe just upgrade to the Nest. But then I was like, well, if I'm going to do that, I'd rather get, I'd True. rather just bite the bullet and I get the I think newer product. Have you? I mean, obviously, mm. there's a bunch of things you, you could look at, yes. but changing the Wi-Fi channel, for example, it could be a, a thing that's going to exist with a new system anyway. So, run yeah, one of those. Have you got an Android phone at all? No. Um, def, there are definitely apps to. on the iPhone that will do it. So you look for a Wi-Fi scanner. And try and mm-hmm. find one. Obviously, be careful of all the clickbaity ones that want you to pay money for stuff. Yeah. But I've definitely run one recently where it's not as real-time. So with Android, you can kind of open it up and it just shows you real-time graph. Whereas on iPhone, I think it'll just scan the networks and then report back. But what you want is you want a graph of your Wi-Fi. Um, have you got other homes yeah. nearby, like neighbors, or is it are you regional? Yeah. So, yeah, no, got no you, you know, you want to know what everyone else is doing because it could be that there's a huge amount of conflict in one part of the – the channel lineup, yeah, okay, and and that yeah. might actually solve a bit of your problems because, mate, if a Google Chromecast is re- right near the um, router or the or the satellite, and you're having problems, dude, that's that's not good at all. Yeah, I, it just like it doesn't make sense. My TV, which also has a Wi-Fi connection, is fine. Fine, yeah. And then the, and then the the dongle that plugs into it, just I just have like weak connection issues. Uh, the original, the, the original Nest. Well, sorry, the original Google Wi-Fi I've got is that a dual band, five gigahertz, two point four. Are they separate or are they single? No, single. And and again, that could be your problem. So you mm-hmm. might have devices that are really trying to search for a two point four, and they're actually connecting to one that's further away. Because the further you no. are away from a, a satellite, the better chance you, you're going to hook onto the two point four. And again, not, right, to, okay. not to continually yep. push the sponsor, but Netgear, I, what I did at home was with the new Orbi system, I enabled the 2.4 again. So I was going to tick that box and turn that on because I I wanted the 2.4 to show so that I could connect devices. Yeah, They've got okay. an IoT yep. network essentially on their most yep. advanced system. They've got an IoT network and that that solved most of my problems. So, But, yep. mate, it's super expensive to do what, you do, what we're talking about. Like... Transitioning yeah, to yeah. a modern system is unbelievably expensive, but for the peace of mind of not getting phone calls from the wife, I'd be happy with that. So, answer to your question yeah. is, I think it could be a while away. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. Well, that's good information, at least. About as best do, I can do, do, do you know that. the the Orbi? Yeah. Does the Orbi have like I, I know Google are really pushing you know kind of compliance with Matter and everything like yep. that. I would. Th- I think everything is going to be compliant with Matter. I would assume so the orbi and everything like that will take care of that well see matter doesn't the the wi-fi network's not really a component of matter because matter is about it's like the old zigbee it's about the devices working with each other but there needs to be a hub somewhere in the home in your case i'm guessing you would probably have a google speaker of some sort that will that will be the hub um you know in our house it's probably going to be either the alexa speaker or a home pod there needs to be a hub of some sort so that the the matter devices don't sit on the Wi-Fi network. They sit on their own mm-hmm. little kind of g- generic network. So there's no issue yeah. with matter compatibility with either Orbi mm-hmm. or Google Wi-Fi Nest. Um, mm-hmm. It's more about ensuring that the devices you have are either upgraded or you upgrade them to matter and that you need a hub of some sort in the home to really do the power of matter to make sure that everything's working super, yeah. super great. Together. So I think, yeah, I think that's what the Nest Pro was kind of um, 
I think that's what it's selling was, itself as, but it doesn't need to be. Yeah. Like a Google Home yeah, okay. will do that. Uh, a decent, yeah, okay, right. a decent, yeah. a decent smart speaker will also be that. Uh, or yeah, okay. like Samsung's releasing a little smart things hub, like it'll be a cheapish device that that's just the thing that sits. If you've ever had a Philips Hue system, it's it's yeah. like the little box that comes with a Philips Hue. None of the lights work yeah, without I remember it. Them. Yeah, that's yeah. all it is. Just one of those, something yeah. like that. Yeah. So yeah, okay. I, I wouldn't be too stressed about matter in that sense. But you're right to be thinking about it, 100%. But I just worry yeah, that yeah. holding out for the Wi-Fi Pro is probably going to – I mean, I could be completely wrong and we could be sideswiped by this in, in days, but I just yeah. think we would have heard something about it by now. Yeah, okay. All right. Sorry, bud. Thanks, mate. Good luck. And thanks for your show. No worries, mate. I appreciate you, you listening. Ya. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, matter. We've got a long way to go before I fully understand matter. I'll be honest, but um, yeah, that's the broad principle. Is um, is that you know it's all about the hub and spoke approach as opposed to the you know um, each device actually relying on your Wi-Fi network because that's what's dragging down your Wi-Fi network. My place is eighty devices. Once I kill all those switches and lights, we're gonna on the Wi-Fi network. We should be at I don't know twenty thirty. We'll see how that goes. EFTM. This is the EFTM Podcast. EFTM Podcast. Farming, not a topic you would expect to hear me talking about. But I have talked about farming with John Deere at CES, the big automated tractors, the things that can automatically detect pests and pesticides and squirt just the weeds instead of everything. There's some cool stuff. But I came across a TikTok this week and it's pretty much gone viral and you'll see it all over the world. In fact, I've, I've noticed the, it's on news.com and today's show is going to talk to him. But I, I really wanted to grab Jake Walkie about this because there's some cool stuff that fascinates me that even exists in Australia, quite frankly. And so Jake's on the line in a very early morning for you, Jake. Good morning, mate. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Mate, appreciate it. Uh, so I stumbled across the TikTok, as, as millions of people I'm sure have. So you're a farmer, okay? You've got a, a, a more than a more than a normal farm. You've got a regenerative farm based in Albury. Talk to me about the farm first and foremost. What is a regenerative farm? What does that mean uh, as as a difference to any other farm out there? Look, a lot of farming models have become extractive, where we're we're pulling nutrients out of the soil, we're removing water from the water table, we're destroying air quality. And re when we're trying to regenerate those commons, we call those the commons, so the resources that we mm. all share, mm. there's certain farming practices that we need to execute, things like uh, not using sides. You've got your herbicide, pesticide. Side mm. is Latin for death. Your herbicide is herb death. Your insecticides, insect death, you know, suicide. So we get away from the sides. Yep. We feed animals species-appropriate diets. Everything's outside on pasture, doing fast rotations around the farm. And for that, that's uh, heavy management input. A lot of people go, well, if it's so easy, why doesn't everyone do that? I was that? just well, going to say, it must therefore be much more expensive, right? So it's an expensive form of that's, farming too. That's right. So even though um, we are extremely productive per meter. The last time I spoke to my bank, they benchmarked me against um, the cattle industry. The last time I spoke to them, I was something like 24 times more productive per square meter than the average bank in my region, than the average um, oh. cattle farm in my region. Um, but yeah, it's a huge labor um, cost. So, you know, we also have a butchery where we process our own meat and sell direct to consumer so we can capture the full retail dollar to justify the effort that we're putting in and maintain profitability. And is that part of the genius of what you're doing is the, the full 
um, the full process. So rather than just you know having um, cattle leave the farm, um, have selling them in the sale yards or whatever, you're trying as best you can to literally paddock to plate this whole process, which is a term you hear a lot, but it's more a restaurant term. But you're you're looking at it from a business perspective to say, look, there's value in this beef from the when I bring it up, when I feed it, all the way through to when it hits. Uh, someone's plate. So you want to extract that value in the same way that you're extracting um, productively, but regeneratively the value from the land. That's right. And so we do beef, pork, chicken, lamb, um, eggs on the farm. So we've got, we've got very diverse enterprises that we call our stacked enterprises because all the animals um, share, share all parts of the farm at different times. It's Mm. a big sort of um, organized symphony of all these animals (laughs) moving around the farm um, but they're, they're very valuable to a lot of different consumers for a lot of different reasons. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people will pay for them for those reasons. So some people um, buy our produce because the, they appreciate the context of the welfare for the yep. animals is very good. Some people have environmental concerns and they like the way we execute that. Other people want food with no nasties and no poisons in it for their families, for their children, mm-hmm. for, their, for, their, for their ill you know, members of their extended family, whatever it might be. So we, I deal with um, dozens and dozens of people every month that contact me. Oh, Jake, I haven't been able to eat eggs for five years because they give me a skin rash or um, pork gives me indigestion and diarrhea, all these sorts of strange, you know, we've all heard about people with intolerances and allergies and it seems like it's blowing up. Well, I'm encountering masses of people that when they're eating our produce that's chemical-free and raised in context to what that animal's uh, natural expression is, all of a sudden, not only can they tolerate that food group that they used to be allergic to, but they're thriving on it. Wow. Just on the farm, is it a, a long-term family farm or did you start this um, you know, uh, as, a, as an enterprise of your own? So for all intents and purposes, I'm essentially a first-generation farmer. Awesome. My grandpa did a little bit of sharecropping and, and had, a, had a piggery in Adelaide, but that was you know, almost before my parents were born quite a, quite a ways away. Uh, the I don't own any land. I lease all the land that I farm. And the main homestead of 100 acres that I lease and farm, my parents, I lease it off my parents. They own it for about 20 years. It's basically a hobby block, oh, really, right. in our area. It's 100 acres and some of our neighbours that have similar sized properties just have a few cows down the back just to keep the grass down and a few pet horses walking around. And, and in Australia, 100 acres is a, a laughable <laughs> landmass to be, to be executing agriculture on. And, and I guess you're growing tomatoes or marijuana. That, <laughs> the, the leasing model also makes it, it uh, quite expandable too. It means that you can, uh, you can look at your, your growth in a different way as well to a, to a traditional farmer who's restricted by his, his boundaries. So let's talk, well, look, um, but, but go on. If sorry, if, if I'm if I'm wrong, I was, I was just going to say, like the the leasing thing is really interesting. First, you've got to access the land. You've got to find someone who will it's lease willing, it to yeah. you. But but at the moment, land costs in our street. I think the last property that sold was about thirteen thousand dollars an acre, hmm. and the market rate to lease it's one hundred and fifty bucks a year. So wow. you're paying not much more than one percent. Like the landowner is getting a one and a half percent. ROI, you know, so I don't know why it's almost impossible to afford to buy it. But then on a business, from a business point of view, why would you? Yeah, exactly. So the butchery you mentioned, this is where where I kind of I stumble across the story. 
uh, uh, it's being sold. You're, you're selling it as a 24-7, 365 uh, butchery that's completely staffless. Now, the video you did is brilliant, by the way, I have to say. Well, well explained, really simple. But just talk me through, talk my listeners through what you did with the butchery to make it possible for people in your area, Lavington, Albury area, to actually come and buy your meat directly from you, but never actually talk to a single person. Sure. So when the business started getting going, I've been doing about four years now, and in the first couple of years were very slow finding our feet and exploring systems and trying to understand what was going on. And we got to the point that we were processing, you know, one body of beef a month and, and a pig, couple of pigs here and there. And it became very apparent to me very quickly that the local butchers could not handle the volume of production that I was aspiring to. Because the process is we have to send an animal off for slaughter at an abattoir and then it gets delivered to a local certified butchery so that they can cut all the meat up, make our sausages, cry back our T-bones, whatever you have. And... It just was not going to work. So I found a local butchery freehold that was for sale. The business had been closed down, but so I bought the building. We did a little bit of renovations and I, I put some butchers in there and we started processing our own meat and it had an old uh, retail space, small retail space that was just sitting there derelict. And I thought, oh, I can't handle that at the moment. I don't have much produce to sell. You know, the small production I'm doing, everything's selling out direct to consumer and to restaurants and organic. So, so you've got yourself a physical anyway. butchery where you can process the meat and you can now do some direct sales <laughs> and all that kind of stuff, but you don't have a, a I guess, a street retail um, set up at that premises or in any any case. Yeah, that's right. So I was just thinking, how could I make the front of store work? I don't have high volume. I, I don't have the revenue to cover a salary out there. And then I thought, you know, it'd be great if it worked like a big walk-in vending machine where people could just <laughs> let themselves in unassisted, buy meat and go home. And so I, I scratched it down in the back of an envelope and spent a bit of time ringing around, Googling, and I ended up blending a few different systems together. So essentially, consumers get a... Uh, a specific code to access the building. It's like Club Line. One of the local DJs called it Club Line for Meat. <laughs> so you put your specific code in at the door. You let yourself in. There's an airlock door for people that are interested in the um, you know specifics of it. So you walk you walk in the first door. You're kept in a uh, airlock, so like a holding corridor. Then you're forced to close the first door behind you, which um, trips an electromagnetic lock on the second door and opens the second door. And that's a system that I put in to ensure people are conscientious and not about not being followed in yep. and letting, you know, um, non-members come in behind them. Tile then days, they open yep. up a smartphone on their app. They use the smartphone on the app. It's called Express Checkout to scan the barcodes that's on the package meat. They add it to the shopping cart, hit pay through. They can sync up Apple Pay or whatever they like, but it comes to me through Stripe. So I pay about 1.7% fee to Stripe. And then they check themselves out. And so we've been doing that for a little bit under two years now. And we're sort of sitting around that $3,000 revenue, uh, which isn't a huge amount of money but and, and could never justify a wage expense. But for just a little standalone 1.7% fee business, it's quite good. So where did the you, – you mentioned like a big vending machine. Did you see any other inspiration? Because when I saw it, I thought, oh, my God, Amazon Go in Australia as a butcher. Have you seen the Amazon Go set up in America? I came across the Amazon Go setup when I was researching yep. how to put this together. So I came up with the idea. I, I was sort of inspired by uh, 
similar concepts that they have over in China where they there's little corner stores and you can access through WeChat and it's all yeah. camera. Like they've got all cameras everywhere and they monitor everything you take and charge your WeChat account on the way out. And that was sort of, I think, where I pulled it from. But the oh, yeah, the Amazon Go thing looks cool, but I don't think it's fared very well, has it? Sounds like it's bottomed out from what I've read. Well, I mean, look, they don't seem to be expanding anywhere at all, but uh, I think it's – I just think it's a tough sell. See, what you've done is you've gone – I think the vending machine example is a great way to do it, but you've also just gone, here's barcodes, use your phone, use a barcode. Like People understand that. The thing about Amazon Go that I think a lot of people would struggle with is, well, what if I don't want it? Do I put it back and does it know I've put it back? It does. It's brilliant. It's amazing. It knows all that. But it's also, imagine you trying to set that up, okay? It'd be stupidly expensive. Whereas I'm assuming you've you've got a small overhead in terms of signing up for the app. You've got your transaction costs, and it's really the security system, the it's like a capital expense that you had to set up the vending machine, and now it's just a matter of barcoding the meat as you go along. And so the other thing you mentioned in the video that I found fascinating is, um, you know, zero loss. Now, obviously, a lot of people go, well, "Who's tail gutting you through the door?" and you know, just grabbing meat and all that kind of stuff. But you mentioned that you, you don't get a pin code until you've essentially, you know, met the family. It feels like that you've got to be, become part of the family to do that. That's right. I I needed a way to vet people because it's obvious that there's going to be people out there that want to rot the system. Um, And I didn't want to give keys to the building, essentially, to Mm. people that I didn't think were actually going to be consumers and and turn up and use the keys and and support us. So I just came up with the idea. I do free farm tours here all the time on the farm. You know, we call them church. They're normally on a Sunday morning and (laughs) they started about... 8am and sometimes 7am sometimes and you know they can blow out for five six hours me dragging people around the farm by the scruff of the neck going look at my chickens look at my pigs <laughs> we, we, we have a lot of fun but it's been really powerful because i've got a personal connection yes with all my customers uh and beyond that and, and then and then there's a bit of a two-way street of integrity because they understand our production models and you know and i've got to meet them and shake their hand i think shaking the hand of the person that grows your food is an important thing that our culture could be doing more of but beyond that it also helps explain to them the cost behind the food you know our our produce i've never claimed that it's cheap and it's always curious to me when people criticize it for being expensive and i'm like well it's it's a strange criticism because i've never made the cheap that it isn't i've never made that quote that you're not saying lowest prices every day or something are you no, and lo- you know, advertising based on lowest prices is the absolute cheapest form of, and and rankest form of marketing and selling as it is. So once they come to the farm and they understand the effort of the principles and the values, then generally people are quite happy to uh, pay for it. They they see the value in it. The one way I explain it, if I can talk about price for thirty seconds, yeah. is cheap foods subsidised, and some of it's literally subsidised yeah. by the by the governments around the world, but in other ways it's subsidised by animal welfare, animal suffering. If you want cheap bacon, the, the pig's picking up the tab for you because it's sitting in a little concrete stall for its mm. whole life and can't go build a wallow and play with its friends. Or the environment subsidising it by having all the minerals and carbons and life extracted out of the soil. Or your health's paying for it because of all the sides and poisons that the food's drenched in. So I'm trying to get rid of all the different categories of, that are picking up the tab for society, uh, centralise all those externalised costs in the actual price of the meat and then give people the opportunity to purchase it with as few strings attached as possible if they want it. I'm tipping it wouldn't work in a big city though, would it? 
I mean, I don't know how much big city living you've done, but I just feel like that trust thing, no matter how many hands you shake, tough one to, to do in a in a bigger place. Or do you think it could work, yeah. the, the, the contactless I'm not, model? I'm not sure. I've had this idea in the back of my head for a while now to, if I was going to roll it out, because I get asked to roll it out all the time, <laughs> I think the way it would have to work would be, Access with a credit card, so you, you swipe or you tap your card and the door yeah. pops open for you, mm-hmm. one consumer at a time, and everything's labelled with RFID codes, and then it scans you on the way out, and you know then the building can do a stock take on itself and match yeah. up what it scanned you leaving with with retained inventory, and then charge the card that you entered with. Yep. Uh, and I think just holding a smaller stock, like you know my building out the front's got a quite large stock holding in it but if you had a smaller inventory and you refilled it more often sort of like a literal street side vending machine you know they don't have much stock in them and if they're busy to fill it up all the time because then the then the downside of being uh scraped you know if you if 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 you over if your minimum overhead is sixty seventy thousand dollars for a salary that's theoretically how much shrinkage you can afford to incur on an annual basis and then you still don't have a workers comp uh, human resource liability, don't have to run a roster, don't have to cover sick people. So, you know, it sounds a bit stupid to, you know, almost sound like you want to get stolen from a little bit, but you've, there's a fair bit of wiggle room there to but get that, moving. That exists in retail already. I mean, we, we, we know that the prices at the big supermarkets are, are, are include the risk taken for self-checkouts. It includes the odd, you know, thing being slipped in the pocket and not scanned. You know, it's the same with banks and uh and the, the amount they charge for fees and, and services, they they incorporate the risk around tap and go and all the different things that are actually making us safer and more secure. But there's still risk, right? It's a fascinating. Well, thing. Well, once again, once again, you've got the honest middle class picking up the tab. Yeah, <laughs> it's a very good point, and I think that's what's beautiful about what you've done is you've gone. You know what? I want to I want to build a community. The church thing I actually used on the radio earlier today. I I. I said you, you indoctrinate people into the farm you know you get them out they got to shake your hand <laughs> it's kind of it's it is true though it's kind of like a church situation we want you to all to be part of a family where we're doing this as a community um you know obviously you're doing it to to keep your family um alive and, and pay the bills but you know it's a really it's an unheard of thing today in today's world pretty much everything you're doing is is either old school or new school enough that it's not it's not heard of anymore I think that's fascinating. I think it's exciting for you, and I, I obviously wonder where it goes next for you. But that's something for you and you and the family to work out, I guess. Well, we've just our, our very next thing, which should be ready to launch any day now, is we're starting to ship boxes of produce into Melbourne from nice. our butchery here uh, nice. as our volume expands. So I've got freight sorted out, so that's going to be available on the dot com soon, and I've got freight lined up for Canberra, Sydney, South Coast. Uh, that I can flick that switch when our when our volume uh, catches up to be able to handle it. So you know, in my space, there's a lot of hippies and and uh, you know so, social types who are all about only selling to their community and mm. only doing mm. that you know 50 kilometer radius thing. And all of that's cool, and I understand it all. And I used to be in that headspace, but after my experiences of people needing to source my food for family health reasons. Uh, my objective and my values have shifted and I just need to get this food into the homes of the people who need it. So we're, we're expanding and if, if people, you know, need it or want it for their families, we'll find a way to get it to them. Good on you, Jake. Wolkie Farm, W-O-L-K-I farm.com.au. 
Mate, really cool stuff. Uh, congrats on everything you're doing. You've obviously been doing it for a very long time, and it's that you know little a little viral nature of something like TikTok that can help give it a boost, and hopefully it does give you a, a boost, not just in how busy you are taking phone calls, but also hopefully it hits the balance sheet for you as well, mate. Good luck, and congrats on what you're doing. Thanks very much. I can't believe I spent five years slaving on Facebook and one video on TikTok and I'm a TikToker <laughs> apparently. <laughs> and, and isn't it amazing? That, and this is what I love about the platform. You know, you don't need a lot of followers. You just need a lot of engagement. You just need great content. I've, I've been so impressed with um, the communities and and the and the viral nature of TikTok and Twitter. You know, yeah. the, the it's it's been lots and just as Twitter, especially as a networking opportunity, just incredible. Yeah, mate. Forget Facebook. Um, I, I I made that decision some time ago. Uh, it's it's fun to engage with a community on TikTok and it's a different community on Twitter again. And the bottom line, if you can make it work for your business. That itself is is a great story. Mate, you you could probably quit farming today and go on the speaking tour and make the same amount of money just based on what you've learnt in uh, automated retail, um, regenerative farming, and on social media. Like, you've got three strings to your bow at the very least, mate. So uh, that's to be congratulated because obviously, you know, you wouldn't have thought as a farmer four or five years ago that it'd be, you know, things you'd be talking about as a, as a I guess, a, an expert. Another culture shock is on a few people messaging me the last few days telling me to start an OnlyFans account. And I Hello. thought they were encouraging me to do porn. I'm like, what the hell? But I didn't realise that there was other behind the scenes yeah, avenues no. people use for that. It's, it's another way of making money. It just doesn't sound like it's an appropriate way to make money. <laughs> no, that's right. My wife raised my brows. Yeah, I can imagine she did. All right, mate. Good on you. Thanks for your chat. Thanks very much. Kerry's on the line. G'day, Kerry. How are you doing? Hi, Trevor. Well, thank you. What can I do for you? Yes, look, I just um, had a query. I, I've just got so many um, photos, you know, from kids when they were yep. so young. And so there's, you know, uh, probably about 15, 20 photo albums and frames and things like that. And I'm just wondering the best um, options that I might have to sort of, um, you know, downsize and make some room and, and sort of so I can scan and, and have them all a soft copy as such. So, you know, the hardest can... part about it is getting them out of the albums. Have you started doing that? My God. Because you know those old albums that had the the clear plastic sheet, yes, and then they were stuck to yes. it. Um, yes, I'm showing my age, aren't I? Oh, <laughs> hello. Um, <laughs> I started doing that with some. I've just got albums full of racing cars. <laughs> you know, it's the same race, and it's like 55 million photos. Anyway, um, yeah. I started pulling them out, going, "Geez, they're they're staying out of here. Like they're never going back in." And also, yeah. what a time consuming process. But the challenge is then you want to obviously have them in your digital library. You want to have them, you know, somewhere that, that, you know, you can look at them on a computer and share them and maybe embarrass the kids at different times, all that kind of stuff. So Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, ideally probably like a, a USB stick or something yes. like, you know. Um, yeah, that's, well, that's a bit more practical. Here's the thing. We'll talk again when you've started digitising, but I want you to use the cloud, right? That's my advice for photos is put them all on the cloud no. Because it's unbelievable when you're on your phone, your computer, your laptop, your tablet, whatever, and you just open up Google Photos and you go, I want a photo of Jackson. And I just type my son's name, Jackson, and it comes up, shows me every photo I've got of him because it has facial recognition. So we've got, a, we've got an exciting world ahead, but we've got to digitize them first. Here's yeah. my number one solution for you. And you're going to freak out when I tell you the price. But bear with me, okay? You can get them at Bingley and Harvey Norman. It's called the Epson Fast Photo with an F for photo. Uh -huh. 
It's a photo mm-hmm. scanner. And once you've got the photos, it's like it does like 60 a minute. Like it's like a second per scan. It's it's amazing. Uh, amazing. And it's $600. But but here's the thing. You've only got to do it once, right? So when you get the thing, unbox it like a like a YouTuber. <laughs> Take it out of the box carefully. Don't destroy the box. Don't destroy any part of it. Use it diligently. Keep it in good condition. Maybe it takes you a month to get through them all and scan them just every Sunday night or something, whatever. And once you feel like you're done, put it on Facebook Marketplace for 500 and someone is going to save 100 you're going to get back 500 and you've only spent 100 doing the scanning. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like okay. it's it's yeah. a device that has a genuine second home. Um, so if you're willing to have that upfront cost, I truly believe you'll find someone that you can sell it to or rent mm-hmm. it out to your mates for 50 bucks a pop at a time because we've all got friends mm-hmm. of our same demographic, so they're going to have the same problem, aren't they? Um, yeah, yeah. It's the best solution because it just you put the photos in, it goes just scans them all for you. Otherwise, you've got to buy yourself a you know a printer at, with a scanning function, you know, a flatbed kind of printer with the with the top on it. And you've got to place the photo in and press scan. Place the photo in, press scan. I mean, are you seriously gonna sit yeah, and do that? Okay, so I'm better off doing like an outlay of the $600 rather than taking all the photos to a third party to have them scanned externally. I haven't done a quote on that, but I'm imagining that there's a cost. They would have a machine like this thing, so it's probably not hours of their time. But, Mm. um, you know, once you know know exactly how many photos there are, ring someone, get get a price for sure. Yeah, um, yeah, and, yeah. and that's a good thing to weigh up against it. And when you do, make sure they give you a, a digital copy on a hard drive or the like and immediately put that in the cloud because that right. hard drive, whether it's the hard drive, whether you copied onto your computer, um, accident, theft, fire, those photos are gone again. Mm, and so mm. put them in the cloud and they're, they're yours forever. So, so okay, um, with the with the, the Epson, the fast photo that yeah. you mentioned, uh that automatically will upload them into no, it puts the cloud? No, it'll just put them in a folder in your computer and then what you do is you download Google Photo, uh, uh, like an upload thing, and it'll just sync, sync that folder up to the cloud and within, depending on how fast your internet is, within a day or so, they'll all be in the cloud. Then you log oh, in okay. uh, after a week or two, log in, and it'll say, who's this? And you just start naming faces and it's a whole bunch of fun. I've got about 50 people named in my library and mm, mm. it's phenomenal okay. how good it is at recognizing faces from all ages. It's brilliant. Yeah. yeah okay. Right. Um, okay. Well, something worth considering. Yeah. 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 So okay. F- let's find out how many you've got. Get a quote, and then determine whether or mm. not that expense is worth it for you um, in terms of the, mm, the machine, mm. or whether it is better to outsource it. Okay. All right. That's really helpful. All right. Good luck, Kerry. Thank okay. you. Okay. Thank you very much. Good on you. Okay. Thanks, Thanks for getting in touch. Bye. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a great process. It's, it's a weird process going through all your photo albums and slowly tearing out the photos and when I say tearing them out, people that know, know, um, and then digitizing them and having them available to just scan through and look through on your phone, your tablet, whatever. I'm such a big fan of having a digital library like that. I've still got albums myself that I haven't done. I've got one of these buddy scanners somewhere. I think I lent it to someone at the Today Show. And haven't gotten back. Uh, so I really need to do that. Or maybe I should just buy one. Um, but it feels like a, it's a terrible thing. It feels like a retirement thing. Like it feels like something when you've got 
downtime, um, which I just don't have plentiful amounts of right now. So let's move on to another time. Anyway, um, if you've got a question, go to the website, EFTM.com. Just click Ask Trev. You're listening to the EFTM podcast. Vent your tech woes, EFTM.com. Click on Ask Trev. Yusuf's here. G'day, mate. How are you doing? Good, mate. How are you? Yeah, real good. What can I do for you? I've just noticed that Elon Musk has removed APIs from Twitter. So I was using TweetBot and no longer can at the moment. Why? Here's my thing. I saw your email. I thought, I mean, Elon is a wild unit, right? But here's my big question. Why do you use TweetBot? I just find the interface a lot easier than Twitter itself. I mean, Twitter's a list and you click on a tweet and you hit reply. What What does it do that the Twitter client doesn't? That's what I'm trying to understand. Well, at the moment, I get a lot of um, recommendations and there's a lot of ads and then Tweetbot was very simple. Ah, yeah. So that, that, that's things. the thing, yeah. In your timeline, you don't get those promoted tweets. That's And so from a business perspective, Yusuf, I think you can understand why Elon turned it off, right? It's like we, yeah, make, our, we, makes, ma- makes we make our money on ads, but there's a bunch of people getting getting the service without ads. Um, well, at the moment, I don't know what is my Twitter feed and what is promoted to me. So it's like I've actually turned off it and not using it anymore. Mate, you know what? I am with you on that. It is frustrating as hell. If I um, – let me make sure I've gotten rid of Twitter first, you know, keep the app open. So if I launch the app from scratch, the home page says for you, not following. So you've got to swipe across yes. – to see following. Now, following is genuinely things that I follow. It's the old chronological feed. Obviously, there are going to be ads. Yeah. The third tweet down for me is an ad for Universal Pictures, right? Um, there's always going to be ads. That's how they make the money. I mean, I'm not going to pay him $20 a month for a tick, let alone no ads. If that was an option, I, I, you know, I'd think about it, a no ads option like YouTube. I pay 12 bucks a month for YouTube so I don't get ads. I mean, I'm cool with that. I don't yeah. mind the idea because then I'm still paying my way. But... Um, I did see a note or a tweet or something from someone at Twitter or Elon saying that the next app update would restore uh, your selection. So if you use, if I'm like now using the following tab, next time I open the app, it'll go to the following tab. So I think okay. I think they hear the drama from people and they're going to go back to what it should be. For you though, I don't think you're going to see Tweetbot again because they are they've announced they are intentionally blocking Tweetbot and others. And I'll, I'll be, okay. I, I think that's the right thing to do. If I'm, if I'm an, uh, you know, if my business is an app, I'm not going to let other apps run my business. Like it seems weird, and I've yeah. always thought it was weird. So, yeah, mate. unfortunately, mate, you're either going to have to walk away completely or uh, start using uh, the Twitter app, my friend. That I shall do. Thank you very much, Trevor. All right, buddy. Have a good one and uh, stay well. Thank you very much. Cheers, mate. Good on you. Um, yeah, it's it's a kind of interesting one, isn't it? Because. I mean, Yusuf, lovely bloke, no, no dramas and, and understands what's happening, but you really can't take it away. I'm not going to complain about Elon Musk blocking another app. And if you don't use Twitter, the example there would be, okay, so the Facebook app, you know, you open Facebook, you scroll through. If there was an app called Facebot and you open it up and you just saw your friend's information, it'd be like, oh, this is awesome. That's exactly what we want. But instead, we, we've we been forced to use Facebook, which means I'm seeing all the recommendation rubbish like essentially, that's useless problem, and I hear it because that's the that's why I don't use Facebook much. But yeah, Twitter have the right to turn it off, so it is what it is. If anything could happen in the world of technology in Silicon Valley, it would be that they all get together. You know, like smart home people got together and said we're going to do Matter, 
why don't they all get together and agree on a messaging something, a messaging system? Because I need one inbox, folks. And anyone that remembers BlackBerry Messenger, you could have all your things. You could have a tweet and a direct message and an email and an SMS. They'd all be in one place, one inbox. It was joy. But you can't do that anymore. And I really need that in my life. <laughs> I get messages and I forget where they were from. So I can't remember where to reply to them. Which reminds me, I've got to get back to John Boy. EFTM, click on Astrid. EFTM. This is the EFTM Podcast. EFTM Podcast. All right, well, officially, this is my last show for January. Um, and it's going to be the, the last show for a week and a half because we're in, San, we're in San Francisco next week with Samsung. So I'll be at the Galaxy Unpacked event. We'll bring you news of that on Thursday morning on EFTM.com on the Today Show and across wherever the heck you follow. So Galaxy S23 launch next Thursday morning, Australian time. So we'll be over in San Francisco for the week. So there'll be no EFTM podcast. So my apologies in advance. We'll be back the week after with all your calls. If you've got a tech question, hit me up. I love hearing from you. I love seeing your questions, no matter whether they're uh, comments about things you've bought. Um, shout out to Andrew who um, emailed me about the, the stuff he's doing with an Oculus Quest. And, mate, I love it. I think it's so cool that... You can you go because I know Andrew works in um, in CAD design and architecture and things. So the idea that we're now moving away from we've gone from you know a, a, a set square and a drawing pad to now using VR is so so cool. Uh, I just think that's the cool embrace of technology that we love. So um, I love hearing about those things. Couldn't get you today. Sorry, Andrew, and sorry to Michael. And there was a couple others I didn't get to, but we'll. Try again another time, um, but most importantly, if you've got a question, go to the website, eftm.com, click Ask Trev, and I'll see you real soon, folks. See you later. It might sound crazy what I'm about to say, but Trevor-